when he wrote this letter that we call Ephesians. He gives us some hints throughout the letter. For instance, if you go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Something similar in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. One chapter later, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. How does Paul describe himself multiple times throughout the letter to the Ephesians? He says, I'm a prisoner. He says, I'm someone who's in chains. What does that tell us about this question? What does that tell us about where Paul was when he wrote this letter? Just like with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. It seems that Paul wrote this letter during the two years that he was imprisoned in Rome. The two years that he was under house arrest waiting to stand before the Roman emperor, the Caesar. This is the same imprisonment that we find in Acts chapter 28, verses 16 through 31. Well, if that's the case, it leads directly into our third question. When was Ephesians written? If this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, which it was, if it was written while he was imprisoned in the city of Rome for two years, which I believe it was, then when did he write this? More than likely, when you look at the chronology, it was somewhere between 60 to 62 A.D. So that puts a time stamp on it. Probably taking place a little, at, a little below 30 years after his conversion, Paul, in prison, under house arrest, in the city of Rome, writes this letter in A.D. 60, maybe 61, maybe 62. Let's spend a little bit of time on this fourth question. Who was Ephesians written to? We see who wrote it, where he wrote it, when he wrote it. Well, who was it written to? Who were who the recipients of this letter? Paul has a number of different things to say. First, if you go to chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul says that this letter is written to the saints. You know what that word saints literally means? It literally means the holy ones. The holy people of God. If you take the word that's translated as saints and you put it in its singular form, that's the word that you see throughout your New Testament, holy or sanctified. In its plural form, it's saints. Those who have been sanctified by Jesus. Those who have been made holy by His grace, by His mercy, by His love. There are some religious groups today that create a separation between saints and Christians. That these people over here are saints, but then these people over here are just regular Christians. I want you to know, the New Testament doesn't talk about that distinction. The New Testament doesn't make that distinction. In the New Testament, if you're a saint, you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're a saint. You are someone who Jesus has made holy. Someone who Jesus is sanctified. So he's, after He names Himself... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he says, I'm writing to the holy ones, the holy people of God, those who have been sanctified. If you continue reading in chapter 1 and verse 1, he says he's writing to those who are in Ephesus. 
Let's clear up something just a little bit technical. Maybe you've read this, read this, maybe you've heard about this. Especially if you have the English Standard Version like I do, there might be a little footnote at the bottom of your page that says the words in Ephesus were not in some of the earliest and most important Greek manuscripts. You might have heard something like that. You might have read something like that, and it's true. The phrase in Ephesus was not in the three oldest manuscripts, most reliable manuscripts. It's not in those three, but it is in hundreds of others. Some people at this point talk about how Ephesians could have been a circular letter because of its impersonal nature and tone, because of perhaps the omission of this phrase in Ephesus. While it may have been a circular letter, and probably the majority of Paul's letters were secular letters. Cross-reference that with what you find at the end of Colossians. Paul tells the church at Colossae, hey, swap the letter that I sent to you with the letter that I sent to Laodicea. Perhaps all of Paul's letters were circular letters. This one, I think we can be confident, was written to those who are in Ephesus. And so if that's the case, what was Paul's relationship with the Ephesians? What kind of interactions did he have with them? When you read throughout the book of Acts, up to his imprisonment in chapter 28, he has three different interactions with the Ephesians. The first one comes in Acts chapter 18. Verses 18 through 21. It's a very short interaction at the end of Paul's second missionary journey. The second interaction comes in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 41, where Paul stays there for about three years. Paul stayed in Ephesus in Acts 19 longer than he stayed anywhere else throughout his missionary journeys. That one took place at the beginning of his third missionary journey in Acts. He had to leave because of a riot that took place in the city about Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. Her temple was located in the city of Ephesus. We'll mention a little bit more about that in just a moment. But Paul, I mean, imagine three years. Imagine the relationships that he would have been able to form. Imagine the love that he had for the church at Ephesus and the love that the church at Ephesus had for him. Perhaps we don't see that any more clearly than in his third interaction with that church. In Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, where Paul, he doesn't go to Ephesus. The Ephesian elders come to him in the city of Miletus, and Paul gives his farewell address to them. A very emotional text where Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, saying things like, You're never going to see my face again as he made his way to his imprisonment. So Paul had a close relationship with the church. At Ephesus, and I believe we can see that and we will see that as we read and study throughout this book together. What do we know about the ancient city of Ephesus? Again, there's a lot that we could mention here, but just to hit the highlights, Ephesus was a very rich city. It had a great economy, and that was true for a number of different reasons. We mentioned the temple that existed in that city to Artemis or Diana, brought in a lot of people. It brought in a lot of money. Ephesus was a city that was centered on trade. There were two trade routes that intersected in the city of Ephesus. It was located on a major river. It was a port city on the Mediterranean Sea. All of those factors creating a really good economy. A really rich city. Imagine rich cities in our world today. 
and the characteristics that go along with them, we can apply those things to the city of ancient Ephesus. It had a very large population. In Paul's time, probably numbered 200,000, maybe 250,000 people. In, in our world today, that's not a very big city. We have cities in the United States, certainly cities all over the world that are a lot bigger than 250,000 people. In the ancient world, that was a metropolis. That was a really big city. It's a city with a great economy, led to a large population. Well, when you have a large population, of course, it's going to be ethnically diverse. There was a large group of Jews in Ephesus. There was an even larger group of Gentiles in Ephesus. And that's going to show up throughout the chapters and pages of Ephesians. Where Paul, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, talks about how, God, or how Jesus has brought both Jew and Gentile together. How He has drawn them close by the blood that He shed on the cross. In chapter 4 especially, how they should get together and live in unity as members of the body of Christ. Whenever you're a part of the body of Christ, it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. What matters is if you're connected to Jesus. And Paul makes that point to them throughout the book of Ephesians. It was a religiously diverse city. From what I've read, it seems that at least 50 gods were worshipped in Ephesus at this time. Many of the people were polytheistic, which means they worshipped more than one god at a time. A great impact on the religion of Ephesus was the temple to Artemis or the temple to Diana. Here's the location where it originally was. Of course, it's not there anymore. As you can see, even that column in the picture is, is not original to that ancient temple dedicated to Artemis or Diana. This is a replica of that temple. Have you ever been to Nashville to visit the Parthenon? Pretty neat to see. Maybe some of you have seen that. The temple to Artemis was four times the size of the Parthenon. A huge building. A huge temple from some ancient sources. We find that it was about 425 feet long. It was 220 feet wide. It had 127 white columns that were each about 60 feet high. You remember why the riot started at the end of Acts 19? Paul was converting people to Christianity. Souls were being converted to Jesus and the people who made the the idols and the, the artifacts that went into the temple were losing money. And that's why that whole protest started at the end of Acts 19. If you spend some time reading that and studying that this week, you'll be able to see that. So who's it written to? The holy people of God. Well, where are they located? They're located in the city of Ephesus. Paul has a few more things to say about them. He says that they are those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. If you fast forward about 30 years, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, Jesus tells Ephesus that they had lost their first love. That's not the case here. They were still holding on to their first love at this point. They were living faithfully in Jesus. They were the church that God wanted them to be collectively. They were the people that God wanted them to be individually. And then I love this note at the very end of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, Paul identifies them as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. They eventually lost that first love. 
But when you look at them in Ephesians 6, here's a group of people who are so in love with Jesus. They're so passionate and zealous about Jesus. They're loving Jesus with a love that doesn't have an expiration date. A love that's incorruptible. A love that is eternal. And then finally, question number five, why was Ephesians written? What is the purpose of this letter? What are some of the main themes and characteristics that we need to keep a lookout for? Well, before we get too specific, let's talk more broad for just a second. When you look at the structure of the book of Ephesians based on the chapter and verse divisions that we've put in, you can divide it directly in half. The first three chapters of Ephesians are very doctrinal. Paul, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, is communicating a lot of ideas, concepts, doctrines, teachings. But there's a transition when you get to chapter 4. In the last three chapters, chapters 4 through 6, Paul becomes very practical. Where he basically says, okay, now here's how you live that out. Here's how that should make a difference in your lives on a daily basis. The argument of Ephesians is actually genius. He says in the first half, here's what you need to know. And in the last half, here's what you do with what you know. He says, here's what needs to be inside of your head, chapters 1 through 3. And then here's how you live that out on a daily basis in chapters 4 through 6. So that's the, that's the outline, the kind of broad outline that we're going to be looking at. When you look more specifically about some key themes and characteristics, this letter is all about the church. That's the main theme. That's the main idea throughout the book of Ephesians, the church that belongs to Christ. The way that the church should be, based on God's design, based on God's intent. Ephesians reveals to us a lot about the church. The church is Jesus' body. The fullness of Jesus, chapter 1 and verse 23. The church is God's household, His family, chapter 2 and verse 19. The church is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. The church are those who make known the wisdom of God. Chapter 3 and verse 10. The church is the bride of Christ. In chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, this is a book that wants to teach us about the church that wants to teach us about how the church should work, God's original intent, God's original design for the church that belongs to Him. And so it has a collective nature to it. But then it also has a very individual nature to it, where this is a book, a letter, that emphasizes your relationship with Jesus. It talks about how you should live in the church, certainly. But it also talks about your personal relationship with the Lord. We see that in Ephesians. Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, 23 different times throughout those six chapters. There are two types of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ. And there are those who are outside of Christ. Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, to talk about the blessings that we receive in Him 23 different times in just six chapters. This is a book that wants you to deepen your relationship with Jesus. I like what Jay Lockhart says in his commentary. It's a long quote, so bear with me. Some pretty powerful ideas here. He says, it is in Christ, key phrase, it's in Christ that the faithful live and are blessed with all 
spiritual blessings. These blessings include being chosen, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, and united with God. Being in Christ makes us heirs of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Those in Christ are near to God, are sitting together with Christ in the heavenlies, are God's new creation, are reconciled to other Christians. They are God's building. They are bold before God and empowered by God. Additionally, he writes, Christ is presented as the head of the church, the Savior of the body. He is the cornerstone of God's building, the church, and the centerpiece of God's purpose. He is the crucified, resurrected, and glorified Lord who equips the church to do His work. He's the husband of His bride, the church, and is the one through whom we glorify God. Christ is the proper object of our love. Amen. This is a book that wants to draw us deeper in Jesus. That wants to make us fall in love with Jesus. That emphasizes our relationships with Him. And then finally, this is a book that wants to place our sights on spiritual things. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, it's pretty easy to get sidetracked. It's pretty easy to get so caught up in looking to and focusing on the things of this world. Paul in Ephesians wants to take you beyond that. Paul in Ephesians wants you to set your sight on things that are eternal. Things that are spiritual. We see that six different times in Ephesians. He talks about the heavenlies. The heavenly places. Many translations translate it. Talking about the spiritual realm. The spiritual dimension. What he basically says is as Christians... We're able to experience everything that's good in the heavenly realm. Why? Because of Jesus. But the other side is also true, especially in chapter 6. We are able to overcome the bad things, our enemies in the spiritual realm. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of God and the strength that He supplies for us. This is a book that encourages us to look beyond what's right here in front of our faces and to set our focus on a daily basis on things that are eternal, things that are spiritual in nature. So when you look at those five questions, as we introduce the book of Ephesians and the brief answers that we've provided to them, when you think about the foundation that we're trying to build tonight, how we're trying to introduce ourselves to this letter, the relationship that we want to build with this letter as we close, take a minute to think about you. What do you want in life? What do you desire more than anything else on a daily basis? Let me ask you, do you want to be a saint? Do you want to be a holy person of God? Do you want to be a person who's faithful in Christ Jesus? You want to be a person who falls in love with Jesus? You have an incorruptible love for the Lord? Do you want to be a person who is an active participant in the church that God has designed in His ultimate wisdom? You want to grow in your relationship with God. You want to come to know Jesus better and to appreciate Jesus in a more powerful way. Do you want to set your sights on spiritual things? Are you tired of living for things in this world? Focusing on things in this world? Do you want to set your sights on things that are eternal? If any of that sounds good to you, 
If you want or desire any of that, you know what you need to do? Spend some time in the book of Ephesians. And that's what we're going to do on Sunday nights over the next several months as we walk through the text chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Let's study Ephesians. I'm excited about it. And I hope that you are too. Don't just think about Ephesians here though. Think about and read Ephesians throughout the week. If you want to, pre- if you want to prep, I realize this isn't school. I asked Leslie a few days ago if she was going to be a teacher who gave homework. So I'm not giving you homework. Here's just a suggestion. Next week, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Try to read that every day throughout this week. Read chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Let's study Ephesians. Let's read Ephesians. And let's allow the Spirit of God to transform us through a letter that He's inspired. Through this study, through the conversations that we're going to be able to have, Let's become more like Jesus. That's our goal in everything, isn't it? I want to fall more in love with Jesus. I want to know Jesus better. I want to deepen my relationship with Him. And every day I want to live more like Him. If you want that too, then let's be excited about this book that we're going to be able to study together. But you know, you can't become more like Jesus if you're not connected to Jesus. So maybe that's a decision you need to make tonight to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you need to make the decision to come back to your Savior. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you in any way, then let us do that as together we stand and sing the song that's been selected.